bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is uh, Michael Kresch, uh, who is a uh, certified financial planner in uh, Long Island, New York, uh, who's written a book uh, called You Can Afford to Retire. Welcome to the show, Michael. It's good to be here. Uh, let's just start about this kind of the general situation on retirement before we get into some of the specific uh, strategies you have in the book. Uh, people generally feel, uh, I, I guess a lot of people, that they're not really not going to be able to afford to retire, uh, that they haven't saved enough, that they can't live on Social Security. What is the, uh, the myth about it? Or is that, in fact, true for a lot of Americans? Well, actually, you know, the, the, the reality is that um, I actually started writing this book at the beginning of the last market correction. In 1999, there was this false sense because a lot of people who were invested and looked at their 401ks and um, their assets and saw their assets are much higher than expected to be, and there was this false sense of security that retirement was going to be easier than they expected. And I wanted to remind people that everything that you look at um, is relative. You know, when the markets go up faster than you expect, they'll come down and make an adjustment. But I still believe, which is the bottom line premise, that everybody can retire, but we have to think about it and do some planning because one of the biggest problems is that more people spend more time planning their two-week vacation than they do when it comes to planning for their retirement, which could run for 30 years. And yes, you know, the, some of the statistics are showing that a lot of people who are getting close to retirement may have less than 100000 in their 401k, and that plus Social Security and a little bit of savings is really not going to get you very far. So the bottom line is that since the 80s, the basic situation has changed. And in the 1980s, about one in four Americans were covered by a defined benefit pension plan. So when you had that as your basis and you added Social Security to that and a moderate amount of savings, you were relatively okay. Since then, it's gone to about one in six and one in seven. And so you really have to rely on your own savings, even if you have a plan at work. So um, the concept of early retirement, retiring at 62 or earlier, uh, becomes more difficult. The concept of fully retiring without some post-retirement work becomes something that has to be addressed. But I firmly believe that if everybody sits down and, and starts to look ahead, they'll be able to put themselves in a substantially better position than they are right now. You know, if you keep the blinders on and you just pretend that nothing is different and then you reach the, the magic age of 62 or 65 and you start to look then, you're going to discover what you expect isn't going to be there. And, you know, that's one of our biggest, you know, problems. You know, we don't uh, plan to fail. We fail to plan. And so this is happening with lots of Americans as they are particularly baby boomers who are now starting just beginning I think this year is the first year that they're actually starting to hit 62 and collect Social Security they haven't saved enough and they're they're hoping for some white knight to save them or something and they're not doing all this hard 
long-term planning and saving that you, you advocate. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly correct. And, and, you know, at the beginning of the book, we talk about some of the retirement myths. And, you know, there's a big myth because it's been going around for a while that the generation ahead of the baby boomers uh, will be transferring an enormous amount of wealth. Yes. Um, you know, talk about $11 trillion or, or something of that nature. Yes. And there are some baby boomers who say, well, I don't have to worry about retirement. I'm going to inherit it from my parents. Uh-huh. Well, if your parents died at 75 the way they did 30 years ago, uh, maybe. But if they're going to be living to 90 and, and 95, um, this inheritance may not be there in time for your retirement. So they're going to run through it, as you're saying. The, the well, money I mean, may you be have there. But you, have, you, you may be already into retirement waiting for the money and it's not there. And then, of course, you have the situation with medical costs are you know, going to be substantially higher than uh, anybody thought, particularly if you have a difference between longevity and what I'll call healthgevity. You know, you may be healthy to 85, and in the last eight or nine years of your life, you may be needing nursing home care or something else. You're still alive, but those costs are very, very high, and they're not really covered. So a lot of that assets could be uh, taken down. But at the same token, um, you know, if your parents live to be 95 and you're hoping to inherit that money when you're 60, you might find out that, you know, you're already post-retirement age and they're still having fun. Yeah. Um, let's just talk about these medical costs for, for a bit because they, they really are going up dramatically here. Um, somehow people think, well, yes, they're going up, but I'm not going to have to pay for it because I'll qualify for Medicaid or Medicare will take care of this, or we'll get universal health coverage, or something will come along and cover all my health expenses. Is that a well, myth see, on that's most the thing. Part? I mean, every time we think about something is going to come along and solve our problems, um, you know, th- that's the kind of planning that gets you into a lot of trouble. Um, every year, there's uh, Fidelity does a study and analyzes what your post-retirement health care costs would be, even if you're fully eligible for Medicare. Mm-hmm. And last year, they said that the average person will have non-Medicare reimbursable health expenses of about a quarter of a million dollars. Over, over their, their lifetime, lifetime. I mean, over, from 65 on. Is what from 65 saying. on. Uh-huh. Now, the other problem that becomes a real issue is that since most people get their health insurance covered at work, and their most, insure, most uh, employers are covering a large percentage of health insurance, individuals are not really conscious of how much health insurance costs. Mm-hmm. And if you look at somebody who's retiring before eligibility for Medicare, you know, which, of course, is at age 65, and they're not getting post-retirement health insurance from work, all of a sudden they discover that for a couple in most parts of the country, it could be as much as ten dollars or $11,000 a year just to pay your health insurance premiums. This is the gap so, between when they retire and hit right, 65. Right. If you retire at 55, you've got 10 years yeah. of paying for health insurance until Medicare kicks in at rates that are frightening. Mm-hmm. So, so, okay, so let's talk about some solutions. We've got the problem there. Do you think... Uh, long-term care insurance makes sense for people in that situation? Well, long-term care insurance solves a different problem, and that problem is whether or not they're going to need um, well, you know, nursing home care or full home care. Long-term health insurance is a great thing for your parents to have, um, you know, especially in the situation if you're worrying about getting money from your parents because 
you know, the one out of every two people over 65 might need long-term care. But if you're in that gap from age 55 to 65 when you will be fully expected to pay for your health care, you better make sure that in your planning you put in that extra $1,000 a month for that coverage. The other thing that really becomes an issue if you're going to be short is to look at whether or not you can take a part-time job post-retirement and get health insurance coverage as long as possible because the longer you're covered, you know, the less cost it'll be. And even Medicare has big gaps. You know, as we know, um, you know, each year the, the, the Medicare gap is high, and even though they added drug coverage, there are lots of holes in there. So you want to get personal coverage as long as possible, and it would be great if, you know, you or your spouse were covered by a, a governmental agency that would provide post-retirement health care. The long-term care issue is another problem. That becomes the issue of how do you protect the um, community spouse or the spouse whose health is okay from running out of money if you need long-term care. In the same token, if your parents um, are getting to the point where they're not 100% healthy, but they're still around, you'll watch their assets be you know, totally wiped out by um, what long-term care costs would be. It's not uh, only in nursing homes, right? We're talking about oh, yeah. assisted living or, or assisted home health living, care. Assisted living is expensive, but it's certainly less expensive than nursing homes. But, you know, I don't know about the prices around the country, but on Long Island, the numbers are off the wall. A quality assisted living facility, which is not covered by the government under any circumstances, costs between $3,500 and $5,000 a month yeah. uh, per person. And long-term care or nursing home care on Long Island runs about 12000 a month or $144,000 a year. Those are numbers that would, you know, pretty much break the bank for anybody. So why can't they just get Medicaid, impoverish themselves, and have the government pay for it? Well, let's start off with that scenario. Um, If you're talking about impoverishing yourself and you're in assisted living, that is not covered even if if you completely run out of money. So if you run out of money and, and you're not sick enough to get nursing home care, you don't get any assistance. So... Um, somebody's got to pay for your, your food and your lodging, and that's where assisted living is the best place to be. But if you don't have any money, it doesn't help. And as far as impoverishing yourself to get eligible for uh, Medicaid to come in, the rules have changed, and it's made it a lot harder. Under the old rules, you had uh, a 36-month look back, and any gift or any way that you would uh, disperse your assets the clock would start ticking from the day you gave the money away. Under the current rules, there's a 60-month look back, which is a real problem because it's not 60 months proportionately, it's 60 months. So that if you thought that, you know, if your parents thought, for example, that they're going to have some problems in the future and they gave you money today to protect it or put it into a trust to protect it and they needed to collect Medicaid before 60 months are up, every single gift, every single transfer that they made would be pulled back into their uh, Medicaid estate, and then the government would ask for that money to pay for their care. So you really have to plan, as far as that is concerned, five full years in advance. And that makes it a lot more complicated because the catch-22 is do you want to give up control 
and older people generally don't. But if you don't give up control, you may just forfeit the money entirely. So that's you know a very complicated area, and that's why long-term care planning and long-term care insurance becomes more important. So you think so, it is a good idea to get long-term care insurance? I, I honestly think that it's, it has to be a major component of your retirement plan. You have to build that in. But, you know, when we get down to the, the nitty-gritty, one of the things I'm telling all my clients that, that when they're in retirement, you know, sooner or later there's going to be a compromise. There's going to be a change that you might have to make in order to reach your goals. And if you have very little assets and you can barely afford to retire, obviously you can't afford long-term care and you'll be wiped out and the government will, will help you. If you have, you know, 5 or $10 million worth of assets, you can buy long-term care simply because you want to protect the assets for your children. But if you're around $1 million to $1.5 million, depending upon where you are, you have to look at properly structuring your budget so that you can put in long-term care and make sure you're comfortable with it because it's going to be expensive, but the alternative is, is extremely uh, dangerous. And then if you only have about a half a million dollars, then you have to put these this balance into place. If long-term care insurance is going to take away from your ability to do what you want to do in retirement, and you're going to have to sacrifice a lot for this protection, you need to sit there and make that decision of weighing which is the right thing to do. Okay, we've got to go to a break. Uh, again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this uh, hour is Michael Kresh, who's written a book called You Can't Afford to Get Rich. He's a CFP on Long Island. We'll be back after this. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in 
both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, and my guest this hour is uh, Michael Kresh, uh, who's a certified financial planner and retirement specialist in Islandia, New York, and Long Island. Uh, he's done a book recently called You Can't Afford to Retire. Welcome back to the show, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, before we go on, just tell people briefly how they can reach you, your website, your phone number, and, and how they can find out about the book. Okay, well, if you want to go to look about the book in detail, I have a website, youcanaffordtoretire.com, where you can order the book. The book is also available on uh, amazon.com. And I have two other websites that you can look at me. One is mdcrash.com, which is the website for my firm itself. And we have a new website that we're about to release called creativeretirementliteracy.com, which is specifically designed to give people educational information about retirement. So it's youcanaffordtoretire.com if you want to look at the book, amazon.com you want to buy the book, and mdcrash.com if you want to look about my firm. And the toll-free number here is 800-639-0099. Very good. Uh, your second chapter is on creating a realistic uh, retirement budget. Uh, we can't go through all the details you have here, but give us a general sense of, you know, are people unrealistic in what they expect they're going to spend, and, and how, how can they create a realis realistic uh, retirement budget? Well, there are two major parts. But one of the things that I discovered, every single person that's come into my office and I've asked them to come up with what they expect their retirement expense budget to be, has underestimated their retirement expense by an average of 25 to 35%. You know, they write down what they think all their bills are, and they say, well, I can get by on this. And I, mean, I had a couple that, that came in uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and, uh, you know, she did the budgeting, and she said, that you know we can I can get by on you know twenty five thousand a year and I said but you're making seventy thousand dollars a year how much did you save last year and she said nothing okay well let's start off with that little quick thing if you're making twenty five if you said you can spend only twenty five that's all it costs you to pay your bills and you're making seventy five then you know after taxes is about twenty twenty five thousand dollars that's missing so her numbers aren't right so what I tell everybody to do is to take three months or more of their checking account and make sure they're taking no withdrawals from the bank, you know, no uh, cash withdrawals. If they have to, they should use a debit card and run their entire expenses for three months so they can sit down and get a handle on what their real expenses are because everybody underestimates and you can't go into retirement being short by 20 or 30 percent. And then what I think the most important thing for everybody to do to make retirement easier is to create two separate budgets. And this is something that's fundamental and not a lot of people do. 
One is your non-discretionary budget, the thing that you, things that you can't change. You know, if you still have a mortgage, you've got to pay your mortgage. You have property taxes, you must pay your property taxes. Utility bills must get paid. Your insurances must get paid. That should be one budget. The second budget should be your discretionary budget, things that you do not have to do but you want to do. So retirement vacations, uh, gifts to the grandchildren, funding grandchildren's education should be put into a separate budget because what we always are going to discover that regardless of what happens, there are going to be good years and bad years in retirement. And people like to spend the same amount of money every single year. But if you break your budget into two parts, then when your retirement investments don't do as well as you expect, you have an opportunity to say, okay, this is a variable. This is something I don't have to do this year. Now, that doesn't mean don't take vacations. It means that if you'd like to take more than one vacation and, and say three would be perfect and one is minimally acceptable, you'll say that one vacation is what you have for the years that you're doing better than expected, but the two vacations are optional. And you go back and look, and, I'm a, and, and let's say, for example, last year you made money and you did okay. So this year's vacations may be set the way you expect them to be. But this year looks like a poor year in the market. You know, right now we're, we're not making money, we're not losing a lot, but it could be a negative year. So that means that when you're planning for 2009, cut back on those variables so that you can extend the money that you have in retirement a lot longer because you're not selling into bad markets to pay for things that are not absolutely necessary. Yeah. You're saying in general that people underestimate. Uh, there's a common myth, I suppose, that uh, your retirement expenses will be about 70% of your working life expenses. Is that just yeah, not true that, today? That myth is just totally useless. I mean, if you're 40 years old and you want to have a rough idea and you want to say that, um, that's fine. But it's really not your income because, you know, that's your income, and it really is your expenses. And we find, particularly on Long Island, because it's expensive, but any other place that's expensive in the country, you know, on the coast in California, that you might end up finding that your retirement expenses are 80, 85, 90%. We've had couples that when they've planned out all their vacationing and everything they wanted to do, they were actually at 105% of their income. So it's really what your expenses are, not your income. This is not an income-related item. Now, the flip side could also be true. You know, let's say you're just in the process of paying off a mortgage and your last kid is finishing school just a year or two before retirement. Well, you may discover that those expenses disappearing early in retirement means that you don't even need 70%. It may be as low as 50 So that myth number is great when you're 25 or 30 years away from retirement for a ballpark planning but when you get closer, you really need to know your budget. And again, the vast majority of the pe people that come into my office think they know their budget. They don't. You know, it's been a long time since Americans actually had a budget. When I run seminars, we discover, um, we'll ask uh, 50 or 100 people, you know, how many of them are working off of a legitimate budget. And if I get four or five people in the room that know exactly what their monthly expenses are, uh, it's surprising. Yeah. I mean, again, with the budget, I have a couple that um, was off by 20%, you know, last year in what they thought they were spending. And that just doesn't work. I mean, and particularly you, with today, with health care costs going up, with 
uh, fuel costs going up with food costs going up, they're probably underestimating it, even if they're being pretty good, because the costs are going up pretty dramatically. Oh, yeah, well, that's the other thing is, you know, here we are in the last couple of weeks, you know, gasoline has gone from the low threes to the high threes and, you know, may go to four. Food prices, apparently, if you go shopping in the morning and shopping in the afternoon, you're probably going to pay a couple of percent more. And in those circumstances, you're definitely going to be off. But it's really the situation where people just don't budget because they don't have to. And when they don't have to, they're going to guess, and they always guess low. Um, you know, it's, it's just this sensation so that it really doesn't expenses. cost them as much as they think they are. They, they think it is. Expenses and they overestimate their income, probably right. They probably well, you know, true. But then I then I tell people when they do that, you know, if you say that, you know, you're making a hundred thousand a year and it only costs you sixty, and I say, well, how much are you saving? And they say, no, we're borrowing at the end of the year. And I said, well, one of those numbers is wrong. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't make more. You can't have discretionary income and no savings at the end of the year unless you spent it all. And and that's where the people come in and say, well, I'm not spending any money at all. You know, I, I'm spending as little as possible. But I said, okay, how much are you saving? I said, nothing. Well, then obviously you're spending money. Yeah. Uh, another thing you talk about in this chapter, and again, I'm speaking with Michael Kresh, who's a CFP. Uh, his relatively new book is called You Can Afford, you Can Afford to Retire. Um, he has a, a section here on reverse mortgages as a way to uh, help create some income for uh, retirement. When does it and does it not make sense to do a reverse mortgage? Well, in most cases, you really want to use that as an absolute last resort. But, you know, there are certain certain parts of the country where people end up with an enormous amount of equity in their home, and that may be their largest source of equity. And what I say to people, before you think about a reverse mortgage, you might want to think about moving, you know, capitalize, move to a less expensive house, uh, free up that equity and, you know, cut your expenses down. But on the other hand, you might find that you want to stay in the neighborhood because your children and your grandchildren are here, but you're just running short of accessible cash and you have substantial equity in your home, then looking at a reverse mortgage is a something that should be evaluated. But you have to remember that reverse mortgages are very, very expensive. The upfront costs are high, and although you don't have to pay it back, you really want to be in a situation where you've exhausted all your other alternatives because if you you know get that reverse mortgage and you don't live very long, the costs are high. If, on the other hand, you get that reverse mortgage and you live very long, you pretty much are wiping out that house to turn over to your kids. But it's a heck of a lot better than the alternative of being forced to move when you still have uh, a fair amount of home equity and you want to be near your children and your grandchildren. So are you getting a sense that there's a lot of people marketing reverse mortgages and people buying them that it really is not appropriate for, it's not a last resort? Absolutely. I mean, especially since the mortgage companies put on much higher fees on reverse mortgages than they are on traditional mortgages, there's a lot of upfront profit in the people who are writing these. And as you know, most mortgages aren't kept. They're written and then flipped out. So the underwriter of the mortgage gets a lot of upfront profit. It's sometimes twice to three times as much as a traditional mortgage. So again, we have the problem of, yes, it, feel, it fills a niche, but you're dealing with older people who can easily be confused. And if you, you know, buy something that's very, very expensive, you want to make sure that you looked at your alternatives first and, and determined that that's the right thing to do. 
and I think it's it's really a sold asset rather than a, a sold process rather than a bought process. And in that case, you have to be careful because the motivator for the seller is the very, very high upfront fees. Yeah. So you're saying in certain circumstances it makes sense, but really should be pretty much a last resort. Uh, are yes. there some resources that you can, for people who are interested in reverse mortgage, uh, you know, that would, would be a good place for them to go? Well, um, off the top of my head, I don't remember, but I know that in New York State, for example, you have to take a course before you're allowed to uh, get a reverse mortgage so you get an understanding of it. And there are probably some very, very good websites um, that are available, and I would definitely recommend that you would go do the research before you speak to um, a provider of the uh, services. Very good. Okay, before we go to break, again, I'm speaking with Michael Kresh, uh, who's a CFP in Islandia, New York, in Long Island. Uh, he has a book out called You Can't Afford to Retire. Uh, his website is youcan'tafford2retire.com and a new one, creativeretirementliteracy.com. Uh, and we'll be just back after this to discuss more about how you can afford retirement. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Small business owners, do you want answers to your most pressing financial concerns? Do you want to stop stressing about money and finally understand how to create wealth? Let Elizabeth Potts Weinstein and the Wealth Spa Radio Show answer your most pressing financial and legal questions about your small business and help you achieve business success and the lifestyle of your dreams easier and faster than you could imagine. The Wealth Spa Radio Show broadcasts live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Radio Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is uh, Michael Kresh. Uh, I'm Jordan Goodman, your host. Uh, his new book is called You Can't Afford to Retire, um, and he's a certified financial planner in Nylandia, New York. Welcome back to the show, Michael. It's good to be here. We want to talk about, uh, you have a chapter on separation from service, and uh, 
what are some of the things people should be looking for when they leave their job one way or the other? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, you know, it used to be that a lot of people hoped that they would work all the way to uh, retirement. And then, of course, if you left, you were jumping to go to a better opportunity. But over the last couple of years, a lot of major firms have been encouraging um, early retirement to get some of their more expensive employees off um, their books and bring in maybe younger employees or cut down their workforce. So you have to look at what your opportunities are. Now, um, we work with some people who are with Verizon, um, and Verizon had a buyout for their managers uh, about 18 months ago. And one of the things that they did, which was interesting to encourage the managers to leave, was two things. First of all, they froze the defined benefit plan for the managers, so they couldn't get any more uh, defined benefit benefits, and then they allowed them to lump sum that out. So that's an incentive. But to even go one step further, they sent out a letter uh, at this time saying that um, because the defined benefit lump sum is based upon the interest rates that are mandated, and at that time the Fed was raising interest rates, they showed their employees how much money they would be forfeiting each month for the next three months based upon the fact that the interest rates were rising at that time, remember this is about two years ago, from uh, under 4% to the high fours. And we actually spoke to, people, spoke to people who were in a position where they were going to forfeit three times their monthly salary for each month they continued to work in their pension plan. So that became a situation where, heck, um, taking that severance pay and, and taking that offer made a lot of economic sense because they were going to be penalized for staying. Well, but when you when you look at it overall, you have to ask yourself a couple of questions. Um, you know, are you ready to retire? What are your options? Um, more and more firms are willing to give a lump sum benefit, which has its advantages. Um, but those things all have to be evaluated because if you're not ready to retire, then it becomes very very important. And again, sometimes the offer becomes one that you can't refuse, even if you do want to continue to work. So you normally uh, recommend that people do take those kind of offers when they come along? Well, if, it depends on the mathematics, because sometimes you just can't refuse them. I'll give you another example. major pharmaceutical company was saying, okay, um, based upon years of service, we're going to give you uh, two weeks for every year of service. But if you don't take this option, you will have to reapply for your job with no guarantee that you'll have a job. And then, of course, if you sit there and then there's no job after you reapply, you didn't get the benefit of that buyout. So they place you in a position where, okay, if you've been there a long time, they're going to write you a very large check to leave. But if you've been there a long time, your salary is high. And if you have to then compete with a younger employee for the same territory, you might find that they're willing to keep you, but in a different territory or they might just lay you off without that option. So it really depends on how they structure it. But for most people, they're trying to make the incentive for those buyouts to be very high. The thing that you have to pay attention to is what you're going to do, because what a lot of people do, particularly if they've only been working for a company for a short period of time, is when they look at their 401K or their pension plan, they actually liquidate it pay the taxes and use that to hopefully get them through the next job. And that's where you're making a gigantic mistake because when you take money out of a qualified plan at work and you lump sum it out, 
that's ordinary income, and if you're under 59 and a half, it's also subject to a 10% excise tax penalty. So if you think you're going to pull out your 50000 or your $60,000 in your 401k to get you through to another job opportunity, yes, that might be correct, but the penalty that you're taking for retirement is drastic because you're going to be paying possibly 40% to 50% in taxes up front the money is never going to grow back again, and all that money is lost. So when you separate from service, you must be very conscious of the tax consequences of dealing with your pension plan. Another thing that people make the mistake of is they think they can do the old 60-day rollover. A lot of people knew that in the old days, if you took money out of a pension plan or an IRA, you had 60 days to roll it over into a new plan without tax penalty. That's fine, except the new rule is different. If you leave an employer plan and you ask to take the money, they're required to withhold 20%, even if you intend to roll over all of it and effectively use some of that money just to give yourself a temporary loan. But here's what happens. You only have 80% of the money, and if you don't roll over 100%, including what they withheld from taxes, that 20% that they took out and you don't have is going to be subject to tax. So you're stuck between a rock and a hard place if you don't pay attention to it correctly. So this is now, the kind of thing you can help people navigate the, the pros and cons of different choices. Well, that's, that's, it's very important. You need to, when, you, when you're ready to leave, if your human resources department isn't giving you a lot of help and a lot of guidance, and some do and some don't, it's very important at that time you talk to a financial planner before you make any decisions that are permanent. I mean, even if you just consult with a, an hourly planner to sit down and, and review your options, it's important because there are so many moving parts and so many things that can go wrong that you just might guess and put yourself in, an, in a position that's, that's very dangerous. Yeah. Well, you're right. And another thing you talk about in this chapter is the, uh, the Roth IRA and how to, to use that. What are some of the things people should be using Roths for, maybe that they're not been using them for lately? Well, I mean, there's, a, there's an enormous advantage of a Roth IRA if you're qualified for it and you can get the money into it. Because unlike a conventional IRA, the money that comes out is completely tax-free. So you have this benefit of, you know, not you don't get a tax deduction for it, but you have the benefit of totally tax-free money on the other side. So for a younger person who may be thinking about contributing to an IRA, um, I would always recommend, unless you're in a very high tax bracket, put the money in the Roth, forfeit today's current tax deduction, and watch that money compound into a very, very large tax-free retirement account that you don't even have to take out in retirement if you don't want to and then pass to the next generation and save a lot of taxes. So there's a lot of power there, but, you know, we have a catch-22, but the people who can really afford to do this are boxed out because, you know, based on your compensation, you can't roll, you know, you, you have limits to what you can roll over into a Roth, and uh, based on your compensation, you may not be able to get a, get a contribution to a Roth. So if you're in the middle-income markets, let's say, uh, a couple and you're making under $100,000 a year, you should seriously look at um, Roth as an alternative because the deduction is not worth as much as the tax-free compounding. Yeah. Unfortunately, if you're making more than $150,000 a year, you're kind of boxed out in that situation, and you really don't have the opportunity for a Roth. So it's can you afford to 
not have the deduction, and you also have the opportunity once again in 2010 to roll over IRA money into a Roth with lower penalties, and that's something you want to look at. If you can afford to eat some of these taxes now, that can save you a lot of taxes and increase your income later on. But again, that's a balancing number. You have to do the calculation. You know, which is worth more, paying taxes today or paying taxes tomorrow? And it's going to be different for different people depending upon their tax bracket. What are some other people, some other advice that you would give to people uh, thinking of separating from service, either regular or taking some kind of early retirement buyout offer? Well, when you take that buyout offer, make sure you know offer. Make sure you know what it is, and you know. And again, like I said to you before, and also make sure you know what you will do thereafter. I mean, if you have no idea of the the job market for yourself, and you you're not sure whether or not you can get by on the the retirement by itself, then you have to be very cautious because if you're getting to retire too early, which is one of the things we talk about a lot in the book, and I want to talk about the, the that concept, I guess, in the last section, you end up with you know the possibility of running out of money. But when you separate from services because you're moving to another job, make sure you take advantage of rolling over your, your 401K, which is your primary uh, pension plan, into an IRA so you have control of it. And if you move job to job to job, I almost always recommend that you roll it over into an IRA rather than roll it into your new company's plan, which you may be able to do, because in general, IRAs these days have a lot more flexibility than 401ks have. They have flexibility with better investment choices, and they have better flexibility with um, distribution and the way you would get it on to the next generation. So you definitely want to do that. But that early retirement buyout, you have to look at it. And most of the times when the companies are smart, they put you in a position where it totally makes sense to take it, even though that might not be exactly what you want to do because the alternative is more expensive than stay. In some cases, I think these companies are making it so attractive, they're losing more employees than they really would rather lose, and they end up having to scramble to get the, the work done. Well, I mean, you know, in that case, they, they still flip around and say that if I can hire somebody, you know, 25 or 30 and train them to do the job, I'm going to be saving uh, substantial cost over somebody who's, uh, you know, 58 to 62. But the other thing you're finding is, as I discussed briefly before, they're cutting out benefits for their younger workers. Younger workers tend to have to pay more, a higher percentage of the health care costs than the older workers. Younger workers may not be eligible for a defined benefit plan anymore. So when a company switches from an older worker to a younger worker, they're saving on multiple areas because the benefits, even on union-negotiated benefits, are not as sweet. And then, of course, the salary costs are lower. So they're, they're actually saving money. Although, yes, you know, sometimes uh, a lot of people just take the buyout and run. Uh, but I haven't seen too many companies that have, you know, seen uh, over buyouts. And what we're seeing now is more and more companies are getting ready to lay off. Uh, the banks are now in the problems where, um, you know, some of the technology companies were a couple of years ago, and they really need to lay off a lot of people. And it's certainly better to induce somebody to terminate service than it would be to just lay off people. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a bigger problem as time goes on because the baby boom is getting to that age where they're getting expensive for companies, and I guess they want cheaper workers. In oh, places. absolutely. Yeah. 
Uh, good. All right. We're going to come back after break here. Um, again, I'm speaking with Michael Kresh, uh, who's a CFP uh, based in Islandia, New York. Uh, his new book is called You Can Afford to Retire. Uh, his website is youcanaffordtoretire.com. Uh, he also has a website, creativeretirementliteracy.com. If you want to find out more about Michael, you can also call him at his phone number, which is 800-639-0099. As you can see, there are lots of things you should be doing now so you can afford retirement and not have it be a big problem, as it is for many Americans today. We'll be back right after this. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Winners know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The Winner's Attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Channel, the Winner's Attitude. Switch me on. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman, your host at The Money Answer Show. And my guest this hour is Michael Kresh spelled K-R-E-S-H. Uh, he's a certified financial planner in Islandia, New York, in Long Island. Uh, he's got a book out called You Can Afford to Retire, and we've been talking about all the things people need to be doing to getting ready for retirement realistically. And certainly one of the things you talk about uh, is uh, both using mutual funds and exchange-traded funds as investments instead of individual stocks. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and, and how people can pick the right mutual funds and ETFs since there are so many thousands to choose from these days. Well, I mean, you know, the thing is, it's kind of funny. There are now more mutual funds than there are stocks that trade on the New York Stock Exchange, so it's, it's getting a bit confusing. But I just want to concentrate on why I don't think individuals should own 
individual stocks in their portfolio because the the bottom line is is that um, you, you have a, a lot of extra risk even when you're right on an individual company and it, it, it deals with um, the stock market business is one of the only places where you can lose your shirt and be 100% right at the same time. Uh, what happened with Google recently, uh, you know, showed things. It, the people got a little bit scared and the stock fell a few hundred points. So you bought it at, at 600, you panicked at 400, you lost 200 points, but it came back. You know, it's that kind of thing that makes it very, very difficult. When you want to diversify a portfolio and you want to get a portfolio that is going to cover your bases and, and lower your risk, you really have to go outside of your area of expertise. I mean, I recommend for individual people, if they're in a certain area of business that they know very well, maybe they own one or two companies that they can follow directly. But it's impossible for any one person to know about domestic stocks well and international stocks well, small companies and large companies, uh, companies that specialize in real estate, companies that specialize in commodities. There are just too many things that you need to know, and you need to get that diversification. So basically, the way it was done uh, until very recently was almost entirely with mutual funds. And the problems with mutual funds is that there are so many of them, it's very, very difficult to determine one from the other. But what we have discovered and when we look at these and, and we're saying, you know, we'll talk about ETFs in a second, is that what you want to understand is that there is some persistency in management's um, performance. You can't say that a manager that has a good year is going to have another good year, but what you find is managers that have bad years or mutual funds that have very high expenses tend to significantly underperform over time. So you want to look for funds that are leaders in their class, part of your diversification, and, and Morningstar, for example, is one of the good fund rating companies that you can use to help build the portfolio with. But remember, just don't look at their star rating. Look at what they're saying about the funds. But you want to diversify. You want to make sure that the funds that you own don't own the same but it sounds uh, like you're, you're more in favor of active management than you are index funds and passive management. Right, so. that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, for part of your portfolio, having an index, whether it be uh, a Vanguard 500 or some of the ETFs that are passively managed to keep the expenses down is fine. But I'm not a firm believer in a totally efficient market. The market isn't really efficient. And to go to indexing is saying that the market is efficient. And one of the things that people don't pick up on is that a typical index fund buys what is made up of the index. And let's take a look at the biggest index. That's the S&P 500. And what happens is the companies are market-weighted. So the biggest companies are what you own the most of. So in 2000, what you own the most of in the S&P 500, the number one position was Microsoft. And uh, probably number 25 was Exxon. Um, not that I could have predicted the future, but right now the number one position is Exxon, and Microsoft is probably down around 15 or 20. And here what happened is you're buying the most expensive stocks, and you're not buying the stocks that have better value. And in reality, we should have bought Exxon in 2000 and not be adding more to Exxon today. And what's happening is as oil prices go up, Exxon's going up. So it's, it's really capital-weighted and market-weighted. And managers get to look at things a little bit differently. So a good active manager has an advantage. The problem is that advantage is offset by cost. Yeah. And that's why you should be looking at, for 
core parts of your portfolio using an ETF to get you involved in an area such as large-cap domestic U.S. stocks, which means that you can buy them pretty inexpensively and not necessarily get the advantage. But if we look at commodities and we look at international and look at small caps over the world or developing markets, in my opinion, it makes sense to hire a manager who knows what they're doing and pay for that because those are areas that are extremely difficult to index and you don't want to be, you know, riding on that. In fact, the classic situation is um, over the last uh, 30 years, the EFA index, which is basically the, the, the broad foreign index, has underperformed most of the managers because of the weighting of Japan when Japan was an underperforming asset for 15 years. And the good managers didn't weight Japan the same as the index. So there's a pro and a con here. And I think a good portfolio is going to be broken up among many types of asset classes and maybe different ways of owning it. As we come to our close, Michael, we want to just talk a little bit about ways that people can close the gap between uh, what we've laid out here is, in general, their expenses are going to be larger than they expect. They're going to live longer. They're not going to get their inheritance and their incomes kind of going to be, be less in various ways. They'll get uh, an early retirement off from their job. So expenses more, income less in various ways. What are some of the ways that in, in the final chapter you talk about how people can close that gap? Well, I, mean, I think one of the simplest things to do is to postpone retirement, even for a couple of years. If you're in a position where you can postpone retirement, even as little as two or three years, so instead of retiring at 64 or 65, maybe you retire at 67 or 68, heck, we're living longer, we're healthier, that saves you substantially on the other end. Um, you want to make sure that you get the most out of it. And also, if you're close to receiving a certain benefit, depending upon your longevity at a firm, don't leave too soon. I mean, some firms will give you post-retirement health insurance if you have X number of years with the firm. and Or your pension will jump substantially if you reach that certain threshold of 10 years or 15 years. So when you're close to those numbers, make sure you stay a little bit longer. The other alternative is that a lot of people reach that point between age 60 and 62 where they're really tired of this job and they want to stop that job because that's the job that they worked hard for. They didn't really love it, but it paid good money, and they're just tired. The flip side is just because you retire from your primary job doesn't mean you have to completely stop working. Uh, we've had some clients that have opened up consulting businesses part-time post-retirement and done very, very nicely because they can work their flexible hours, but they're still generating income, so they're not dipping into their retirement savings too early. We also find that uh, sometimes firms might want you to come back as a consultant without paying you the benefits and are willing to pay you to do some of the work you were doing before, but on more flexible time. So it really boils down to if you're healthy and you're active and you you know can still work, I recommend that even when you reach the age that you want to stop working for your principal firm, consider working part-time as long as you can, because that buys you a lot more time on the other end. I'm not saying, you know, work, um, uh, you know, a full 50-week year, 40-plus hours a week, uh, but maybe if you work, you know, a little bit, about half time, and take a little bit extra vacation times, things can work out much better for you. Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Michael. We've uh, had a really good knowledge here about the whole retirement uh, field. And again, you can find out more about Michael at his website, which is youcanaffordtoretire.com, 
or creativeretirementliteracy.com. There's also a phone number to find out more about Michael at 800-639-0099. Thanks so much for being on the show, Michael. Pleasure. And we'll be back again with you next week. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.